Well, welcome once again to the podcast, and it's going to be a privilege to be sharing with you today. I'm going to be sharing seven principles or lessons that I've learned from the life of John Wesley. So uh, after this music, tune on in. If you like the podcast, please share it with somebody else. All these principles and things that I'm teaching, literally I'm teaching with a heart to enrich your life so that you can fly higher, go further, achieve more and uh, really fulfill the call of God on your own life. God bless you. All right, well, I'm going to share a few thoughts uh, on this subject. Seven lessons I've learned from the revivalist John Wesley. And uh, reminding you that John Wesley was a... A generational leader. He literally influenced his generation and actually has influenced many generations ever since. He is known as the founder of the Methodist Church, but actually he remained in the Anglican Church as a revivalist, as a pastor, as a preacher. But because he revolutionized so many lives out of his ministry, the Methodist Church was born. And he was very methodic or method, yeah, methodic in his approach. Um, anyhow, as you're going to see in some of these lessons that I've learned from him, he had incredible characteristics that caused such change, both in individuals and in society, that um, he really was a terrific leader of his age. And so I think there are many characteristics that he has that we should copy. Okay, so I'm going to give you these seven points and... Obviously, these can be applied in our own lives, but in the points also, I'll be able to tell you a little bit about his story. So the first point is this. Without the anointing, you won't go very far. Without God's Spirit manifesting upon you, your ministry won't have much impact. And that's John Wesley's story, okay? Uh, as I said, he was an Anglican minister. His father was a minister, a, a studious guy. John Wesley wanted to follow in his footsteps and he became a pastor and preacher as well but it seemed like wherever he preached that people weren't particularly interested in his message and so he concluded that the hearts of the English people at the time were so hard and so cold that the problem was them not him and so he decided well I'm going to go across to the United States and I'm going to preach there remember the days of the colony at least and um, when he got there to his horror, he found that the Americans also weren't very interested in what he had to say, weren't responding, nobody was saved. And so he went back to England quite depressed, and his father had to convince him not to leave the ministry. And so he decided that he would go back to the US or to the, to the American colonies uh, once again to try and preach over there. This time on the boat across, and remembering that a boat ride on the ship would take at least six weeks to get across the Atlantic. So that's quite a lot of time in a small wooden uh, contraption. But on the on the boat this time was a, a, were a group of Moravian brothers. So these were believers from an area in Europe called Moravia, which is now in the area that we know as the Czech Republic. And they had been experiencing what historians call the Hundred Year Revival. 
Uh, it was a prayer revival. Literally, they had prayer meetings every night for a hundred years. Such was the move of God. And out of that came an extraordinary missionary movement. People like Count Zinzendorf and others were raised up during that move of God. But Wesley came across a group of these brothers whilst he was on the boat. And he saw how alive they were, how full of faith and fire they were. And he asked them to pray for him. And he famously wrote in his diary afterwards that he felt his heart strangely warmed. Now, if you know anything uh, of the difference between the way the Englishman speaks and an American speaks, you'll know that the Englishman is the master of the understatement. And perhaps we could say the American is the master of the overstatement. So the American would say something like, hey, I felt the fire of God burning in me. Whereas the Englishman will say, I felt my heart strangely warmed. But really, they're describing the same thing. What he was saying was he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire on that boat going across from England to the America colonies. And this time when he arrived in the Americas and opened his mouth, it was a different atmosphere. It was a different environment. The, the people were impacted, touched by the presence of God. And of course, that then began to attract other people to come and hear him speak and and his whole ministry was set on on fire literally in fact sometime later when crowds were traveling sometimes days to be in his services or in his outdoor crusades um, somebody once asked him why brother wesley do people travel so far to be around you and to hear you and he answered well i set myself on fire and people come to watch me burn and it's such a powerful statement, and you can really see the imagery in that of a fire burning in the darkness. So people being attracted to that light, or perhaps the, the warmth of the fire heating up a cold night and people being attracted to the warmth. But this is the story of Wesley. He understood better than most that without the anointing, you can't go very far. Literally, it's the anointing that makes the difference. You can have the word, but you need the spirit too. Your word has to be full of the fire of God, the spirit of God, the presence of God released as you speak. And that's what touches lives and change lives. That's what attracts people to Christ. Amen. And um, so he failed until he was filled. Okay. And so too with many of us. Okay. It's not our work. It's the Lord's work. Uh, flesh gives birth to the flesh Jesus said in John chapter 3 but the spirit gives birth to the spirit we're building a, a kingdom of the spirit so it's the spirit in us flowing through us that will give birth to the spirit in others touch their spirits when there's a connection spirit to spirit you'll find the kingdom of God advances if it's just a connection head to head you may impress somebody they may think wow he's a you know intellectual guy you know, he's an organized guy, but that won't, the kingdom won't advance. The kingdom advances spirit to spirit. So in order for it to advance through you, you have to be overflowing with the spirit or baptized in the spirit. Okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that he, uh, the second principle that I've learned from him is to think outside the box. Think outside the box. I sometimes joke and say that you, you weren't born to live in a box. God never made you to live in a box. You know, this world's constantly trying to put you in a box. When you are born, they put you in a little crib. The baby gets into a little crib, we call it. Uh, after the crib, they put you into a cot, which is one of those slightly larger beds with kind of 
um, wooden slates to keep the child inside. After the child grows a bit more, they uh, certainly when I was a boy, they would put us into these play pens. A play pen was an area in the living room, which was kind of like a mini jail with these wooden bars to keep the child inside from stopping him, running, him or her from running around and destroying things. Uh, still inside the box. And so you can see that, in a sense, you're always being put in a box. And actually, when you grow older... Uh, Often jobs put you inside a box as well. You get to sit in an office or, or a room. And so you're in the box. And guess when you go when you die? That's right. They put you in a box. But the glory of Jesus Christ and God's plan for our lives is that he's a box breaker. Okay. He breaks you out of the box. He broke out of the grave himself. And so both literally and figuratively, God wants us to break out of the boxes in our lives. Or in other words, break out of the limitations. What people say could be done and sh or, or, or should be done. Sometimes you've just got to think outside the box. And I say that because in Wesley's day, preachers weren't allowed to preach outside their building, okay? Uh, you had to speak. If you were going to preach the gospel, preach from the word of God, you had to speak inside the building. And Wesley realized that he couldn't get to the masses if he had to sit in a, in a stone building. And so he went outside of the building and he held this outdoor service so that the multitudes could, could come. And famously, the first one he did, he stood on his father's grave, which was in the graveyard outside the building where he was pastoring and preaching. And so he preached his first service under an open heaven, a, a literal open heaven, but also a spiritual open heaven uh, on his father's grave, which I think is such a, such a, a wonderful uh, picture, an image of this man who was a box breaker and willing to uh, break some of the norms in order to get the gospel to the people. If you want to have a ministry that goes places, think outside the box. Yes, you can learn from those who have gone before you. Amen. You build on, on, on their foundations. But seasons change and generations change and there's different ways of communication. So sometimes you just got to break out of the box that you're in in order to get the gospel to the people. Okay. The third thing is this. Uh, the message of grace changes hearts, nothing else. Wesley understood that. Wesley understood that. Um, he was a preacher of the gospel of grace. He realized that every human problem was resolved through Christ Jesus. If you read some of his old sermons, and wonderfully, a lot of them have been written down. And they're written in Old English. And remember, we're talking about 250 years ago. And so the English spoken then was a little bit different than now. Very rich, you know, rich vocabulary, long sentences, longer words. Uh, you know, language is a, as a kind of living thing that changes with, with generations. Um, so it's a bit lab, uh, laborious to get through. But if you can possibly get through it and understand it, you'll see that this preacher, Wesley, he really preached from his heart to your heart. And he just wanted to get to you the, the great truths of the work of Christ on the cross. And how it was necessary for, for man to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. How everything was resolved there through Christ's substitutionary uh, act. And so you find in Wesley somebody who's very fo focused. Very, very focused. He doesn't speak about other things. He was such an intellectual giant. And he could have spoken and taught on so many things. But he didn't. He just preached the gospel. Because he realized that that was really the main issue. 
And if you could, and he understood this, that if you can change somebody's heart, then you can change society. Okay, that actually the kingdom of God, it, it progresses heart to heart. So often we're trying to change society from the top down. Wesley realized you've got to do it from the inside man out. You can't change people by politics and you can't change society by politics. But what you can do is change individuals' hearts and then you get enough individuals together who are changed and they will change their community and they will change their society and they will change the politics and the laws and everything. So he was an inside-out guy rather than an outside-in guy. It's not that he didn't encourage Christian politicians. In fact, you may remember that William Wilberforce, the politician who managed to pass the act that abolished slavery, okay, was a, was a disciple of his. And so Wesley very much encouraged him and so forth. But at the same time, he understood that it was really a heart issue. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so he went to do uh, surgery in the hearts of men. And some historians believe that England was saved a bloody revolution because of Wesley's preaching. Because if you remember, a little bit later in France, they had a revolution there, and many thousands of people were killed. And the streets of Paris literally ran with blood, and, and they had a, a huge revolution, you know, because the the poorer sections of society revolted against the 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 richer sex sections the nobility and and but it didn't stop there really it, you know that's the problem with revolution it just you know you, you you're on the right side one day but you could be on the wrong side the next day and so the people who you were walking with are now after you and and um but what happened in england was there was such such transformation in society people humbling themselves people changing hearts looking after their workers looking after their servants you know giving jobs paying the correct wages uh, all this kind of stuff that meant that there was no need for a revolution do you follow so i say that again and it's a lesson for for us who live here in brazil because these are tense times politically um but really, if we can change as many hearts as possible, we'll change society. And therefore, we don't need to have great manifestations on the streets and things like that because people's hearts are changed. OK, so that's the third thing. Perhaps I should say it like I did just now off the cuff. But the, Wesley understood that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. OK, the fourth thing is this. Fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. And Wesley, again, was terrific at that because, it, you know, you tend to read the, the stories about Wesley and think that everywhere he went, he was championed, he was welcomed with hallelujahs. But that's only half the story. In fact, many places he went, he was called a deceiver. He, you know, in some, in some towns, and remember, he traveled everywhere on horseback or pretty much everywhere. So he would go places and some places the crowds would come out and welcome him and, you know, and, and, and walk alongside the horse and, and cheer his entrance into their town or village. But in other places, he would literally be pelted with rotten fruit, vegetables, stones. He was hated. So they either loved him or they hated him. But it's a characteristic, actually, that I've seen in lots of men of God. You know, people have really blessed, you know, even in modern times, those who are very anointed, who move in the power of God, who transform lives, they're often really criticized as well as being deceivers 
or as being after people's money or being, you know, wanting to control others. Uh, you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, you can see that wherever he went, actually, he divided the crowd as well. They either loved him or they hated him. Some places people were willing to lay their lives down for him, and other places they were wanting to take away his life, you know, to kill him and to stone him. And of course, the supreme example is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some people shouted hallelujah or hosanna, and others shouted crucify him. Actually, the same people at times. But the point is this, Wesley understood that he wasn't to be a men-pleaser. He was meant to be a God-pleaser. He feared God, not man. And that's a really good thing for us all to learn. We're here to to please God, okay? And if that means that we're hated for doing it, then amen, amen, hallelujah. We don't want to be hated. We don't look to be hated. But we ultimately, we don't give account to man. We give account to the Lord for our lives and our work here on earth. Okay, number five, this principle, don't be wiser than God. And I'm actually quoting from Wesley's story here because he started to have or hold these big rallies, these big evangelistic crusades. Years ago, I used to have a tent in uh, England and I would store it on a, on a farm down in the southwest of England. And that farm where I kept the tent and I began to do crusades was actually the same place where Wesley famously uh, held crusades as well. And there was a farm there called Gospel Ash Farm, which is where he held big gospel meetings. It was called that because of the meetings. And the reason he held them there was because that farm had the division of the two counties. I think it was Dorset and Somerset. And so the borderline for the two counties in England ran through there. And in those days, like I was saying, preachers had to have permits they were limited in where they could go and where they had authority to preach. You couldn't just get up and preach, you know, like we do today. You had to have a permission from the bishop to preach, etc. So Wesley had a permission to preach in one county, but not another. And so what he did was he stood up on a mound of earth on one side of the border and the crowd stood on the other. And so he didn't break the law. He could preach there. Anyhow, so in these meetings, often the power of God would come down in such a way. And of course, he was accompanied, you know, his one uh, uh, beyond his brother Charles, who's famous for um, uh, uh, composing many of the old gospel songs of the time, the hymns that we even sing today. Uh, his other younger colleague was George Whitfield, who was actually more of the evangelist, but they were kind of like an apostolic team. And um, But in their meetings, the power of God would come down so strongly, like waves of glory would, would flood these outdoor fields where thousands of people were standing. And at times, they would fall over and shake and tremble on the floor. And many of them would have visions and go into trances. And, and, and Wesley, you know, saw all these manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And he tried to stop it from happening. He started rebuking people, saying this isn't right. But then an older sister came up to him one day and said to him, Mr. Wesley, don't be wiser than God. In other words, this is the work of the God's spirit. This is, if God wants to to touch people in this way, if God is giving people visions and dreams, if God is healing people and setting people free through these manifestations, who are you to stop God? 
don't be wiser than God. It's something that's really marked my ministry over the years because sometimes manifestations do look pe- peculiar. I mean, even speaking in tongues, if you think about it, is really peculiar. I remember the first time I was in a meeting where everybody started speaking in tongues. That was weird. It really was weird to my ears. It was a strange tongue. But whatever is strange to you is weird. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Because it's, you're not accustomed to it. The same with trembling and falling over in the spirit. But actually, if you think about the results, that's what really counts. Jesus says, wisdom is known by her children. We have another expression in English, the proof is in the pudding. So the fact that somebody's trembled under the power of God might look weird, but if the guy's set free from a demon, or if the guy's healed from a sickness, you know, or if the guy's filled with heavenly joy and peace, then that's the result. So a little bit of trembling, even though it looks weird, actually is a wonderful thing, because look at the result. So Wesley learned that, he backed off, he allowed the Spirit to manifest, and that's really what, you know, what allowed tens of thousands of people to be completely transformed, not just saved in spirit. And number six, uh, be productive. Nothing works like work. Let me say it again. It's one of Wesley's things I've drawn anyhow from Wesley's life is that nothing works like work. And I don't mean that in the sense of working for your salvation, please. I'm a gospel of grace preacher. Okay, everything's a gift of grace. We reign in life through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Okay, it's not our work that counts. It's the work of Christ that counts. It's not what we do. It's what he's done. Okay, it's not our righteousness. Okay, that counts. It's his righteousness being clothed in his righteousness. So these are all gifts of grace that God offers us that we receive through faith. The only uh, obedience we need according to scripture now, is the obedience of faith. Okay, that's the only thing we need need to believe. We need to believe and trust in what he has done. Okay, but what I'm saying here when I use this phrase, nothing works like work, is that having been saved, all of us need to work out our salvation and to be hard workers. Nothing works like work. Okay, uh, and, and you look at it in Wesley's life, I was reading that he would preach on average 15 times per day, per day, literally. So he would be constantly preaching. He preached over 40,000 sermons in his life, 40,000. And he went right up into his old age. And so he would start at dawn and finish at dusk and sometimes go late into the night. He was constantly teaching and preaching, constantly. And he would do it seven days a week. And he did it from his early youth right until his death. He was still preaching and teaching. So he poured himself out in the ministry. Okay, and I think that's a supreme example. I mean, Paul, the apostle, was very similar. You know, he he said, I finished my race. The guy was running. (laughs) The guy ran. (laughs) All right. He said, I poured myself out as a love offering. So for most of us these days, I think we, we sort of, we tend to judge ourselves by comparing ourselves with colleagues. And, but to be honest, you know, the generation we live in is very much a pleasure-seeking generation. Uh, and um, Wesley famously said to his brother Charles, and I read this in a book years ago, that he said, when we get to glory, brother, I pray that when we look back on our lives, we'll see that we haven't even wasted two minutes of our time from, you know, from, from being used by God. Now, obviously, I don't want to take that 
that principle to an extreme. You need to rest. Okay. Jesus took his disciples aside in order for them to rest. But at the same time, we are called to action. Okay. We're called to action whilst we're here on earth. Uh, we're called to run. This isn't for, you know, we, we're not called to sit around. And, and interestingly, J Jesus, he did call the unlikely for his disciples. He did call the, the ones who hadn't been chosen to be his disciples. But notice that uh, he didn't call any lazy disciples. They were all really busy doing something. Some of them doing the wrong thing, like tax collecting or being prostitutes. But they were jolly busy, okay? Or they were fishing all night long. But at least they went all night long. You know, a lot of fishermen would quit these days after a couple of hours. So, you know, this, this, I, this, this principle of being somebody who's ready for a hard day's work is something I think we can really learn from John Wesley. Okay. And the last thing to say is that the last principle is this prosper to be a blessing. And again, I draw this from Wesley's life because I heard that, well, two things that everything he got, and he was given many things, many believers when they were touched and saved, they donated things, and he just became this kind of channel of blessing to everyone else. And we tend to think that Wesley was, you know, it's only today that people preach about prosperity it's not true at all because prosperity is in the bible from abraham you know all the way through and of course the apostle john says that he writes that he would that we prosper and be in health in all things just as your soul prospers okay so there's the message of prosperity but we tend to think that oh, this is a modern thing well actually even wesley understood this issue of prosperity because he wrote somewhere or said somewhere he said money is medicine for the sick money is clothes for the naked uh, money is food for the hungry so he understood the need of money and he wanted people to prosper so that then what they earned could be turned into blessings for others do you hear what i'm saying be blessed to be a blessing and so Wesley, you know, it said that he received literally in donations, I can't remember the exact amount, but the equivalent of millions. But when he died, I think he only had a silver spoon to his name. So when he realized that his time was coming to an end, he just made sure that he had nothing left. He just became this conduit or channel of blessing and glory for all those around him. Hallelujah. So those are seven lessons that I've learned from the great revivalist, the great church leader, the great generational uh, influencer, John Wesley, that I think we can apply in our own lives today. And I hope that uh, you do, and I hope that these stick with you and you apply them in your own life. In Jesus' name. Well, thanks very much for joining me today. Uh, if you're interested to hear more about the life of John Wesley, um, I've just been informed that there's a good movie out about him called Wesley, I believe, made in 2009. Obviously, there are other auto autobiographies and books about him as well. Um, but we want to encourage you to uh, learn from these great men of God and generational influencers and leaders okay so as i said if you enjoyed the podcast please forward it to somebody else 
And we look forward to seeing you next time, next week, with another inspirational message. You can catch up with me personally by sending me a DM or through Instagram or Facebook. And I'm here to be a help and an inspiration in any way I can. God bless you.